Well, good to see you this morning, and uh, so glad you're here. And if you and I haven't met, uh, my name is Brian Haybig. I'm one of the pastors here. I met, um, met a couple just a little while ago that uh, had not met before. And uh, we're always glad to see new faces, so glad you're here. If there's anything we can do for you or questions we can answer or resources that we can point you to, please let one of us know. We'd love to at least try to be helpful. Uh, if you haven't been here before, just to let you know what we're doing, we, uh, this is the preaching portion of our service, and we've been going through a New Testament book of the Bible. It's the book of Hebrews, and we were in it in the fall, and we took a break for Christmas time for Advent, picked it back up in the winter, and um, this is our last sermon in Hebrews. So this is not quite the last verses, but it's almost the last verses, and we're just going to look at two verses Hebrews chapter 13, 20 and 21. That's in your bulletin. Uh, let me zoom the camera out about just the Bible as a whole. Way at the beginning of the Bible, so that's Genesis chapter 1, uh, you have God making everything. He makes the whole universe in six days. And uh, on the sixth day, he makes the first human beings, Adam and Eve. Do you know what it says? Is the, once there are two brand new, completed human beings there, I hate to talk about them like they're cars or something, but you know, as soon as they are made and in existence and they're finished, do you know what Genesis 1 says is the first thing God did with them? He blessed them. He made them and he blessed them. And that really, in some ways, just sets the DNA for so many things in the Bible. Um, when God becomes man, Jesus, and uh, begins his public ministry, uh, kind of goes public with his ministry, one big marker is, the, is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. You can find that in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, at the beginning of his ministry. And of all the ways for him to, to begin that sermon, how does he begin it? He could have begun with, here's how Israel needs to change. Here's what Israel needs to do. And the way he starts is, blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are those who mourn. And blessed are the meek. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And there's more. He begins on the note of those who are blessed. You get to... Um, the end of his public ministry on earth, he, he's been crucified and he's risen from the dead and he sees his disciples and right before he ascends into heaven, it says in the Gospel of Luke that right before he goes up, he raises his hand and does what I'm going to do at the end of this service. He raises his hand and he blesses his disciples, a, a benediction. And, uh, and then you get all the way to the end of the Bible, Revelation, and Revelation is full of blessings. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who's, who rest from their labors. Blessed, blessed, blessed. You get to, in fact, it says, if you read this book, you're blessed. But you get to the very end of the whole Bible, the last verse of the Bible says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all, amen. The Bible ends with a blessing. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say this again this morning, but it, it, it is just the very nature of God to bless. And I don't, I don't know if 
that lands with you. I don't know if he feels that way to you. If you're in a period of uh, real pain or confusion or you're in a really hot, severe trial right now, you may not feel that in your experience. And I'd like to be one voice in your life, not just from me and my voice, but from God's Word, to, to remind you it is the nature of God to bless. Uh, Hebrews ends with a blessing. There's actually a couple, but this is the main one, you might say. Uh, after all this doctrine and incredible teaching and, and just red meat and strong drink, how is God portrayed as blessing those who believe Him and trust in His Son? All right, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we need your blessing, and maybe this morning we feel that we need your blessing. Maybe this morning that just doesn't even compute, and it doesn't seem real. In whatever state we come, we pray that, Lord, you will bless us, even beyond what we would have hoped this morning, and in particular that you would bless us through your word right now. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, you know, it's been interesting to watch that in the last few years, there was a book that just uh, hit the bestseller list and, and just parked itself in the bestseller list. It's uh, a book by uh, a Japanese woman named Marie Kondo. And uh, she comes, she, she's Japanese, she comes out of a Shinto background. And she wrote a book about the, uh, really like the spirituality of tidying up. And, and now she has a show on Netflix, and, um, and I may, or may not have watched like four episodes of it, but <laughs> it's interesting because I'd heard about this. I haven't read the book, but, but I, I'd, I'd heard about it, sort of knew the premise, and um, so I've watched a few of these episodes. It's really interesting that, you know, coming out of uh, Shinto or Shinto, Shintoism, that's, that's just sort of traditional um, Japanese religion sort of folklore religion, and it would, it would understand the world to have spirits in the objects, there's spirits in the trees, there's spirits in the rocks, there's spirits in the house. And if you watch an episode of, of uh, her show when she goes into a house and meets the people and kind of gets their story and looks around at this just like the awful situation she's about to tackle, goes in all the rooms, she'll, uh, she'll kneel down and she will, um, it'll look like she's praying, she's greeting the house, thanking it for letting her be there and asking it to, to help in the process. And, uh, and she, I mean, she'll talk about, you know, like, thanking socks before you get rid of them. Or um, she'll have you pile up all your books to go through your books, which ones you're going to keep, which ones you're not. And before you handle the books, she'll tap them to wake the spirits up. I mean, so it's, in a, it's not a biblical viewpoint on tidying up is what I'm really, <laughs> is the main thing I'm trying to convey to you. But, uh, but, but I think consistent with her, with her view 
She believes that if the house, the spirit of the house and the spirit of the spirits of the objects in the house are as they should be and cared for and orderly, and they're the objects that spark joy in the owners, then it doesn't just tidy up your house. It, like, changes your life. And it's interesting that, uh, at least, you know, in a couple of episodes, people will just, they'll just emote when they get through all this stuff. Like, you know, that this wasn't just somebody that was my hired gun to clean up where, you know, our our junk room that had too much Christmas decorations piled up. I mean, they will emote like there was before you came and after you came. Like it changed our lives. I don't know if that's because a reality TV crew is in their face or or not, but I I wonder if if you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, if, if you have been around the claims of Jesus Christ and, and the word that proclaims Christ. Does that resonate with your experience with Jesus and the gospel and the presence of the living God? Uh, or, or, or do you essentially feel like I'm kind of the me that I've always been and I'm, I'm basically always going to be the me I've always been. I'm just glad that Jesus took care of the sin thing, and so I'm not going to be punished for these sins, and hopefully I'll go to heaven, but there's really not going to be transformation in my life. And the reason I'm asking that question is not to scold and say, well, you shouldn't believe in transformation, but again, I'd like to be one voice in your life reminding you, the New Testament speaks of transformation. That there is before you knew Jesus, there's before you believe the good news, there's before you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, and there is after. And He is after transformation. Our transformation doesn't earn heaven. Our transformation doesn't make God love us more. But because He loves His people, He wants to transform them. Uh, this, is a, this is a blessing and a benediction about transformation. It's not just a neat thought or best wishes. It's a blessing that God would redo you, transform you. So let's, uh, let's look at this blessing a little bit. It's just, just two verses, but there's so much here. Very simple outline <laughs> this morning. The blesser and the blessing. All right, so if you're taking notes, that shouldn't be any problem. The blesser and the blessing. Remember that we're in the book of Hebrews. Remember that it's called Hebrews because these are Jewish readers or Jewish listeners to someone else who's, who's reading this, uh, this sermon letter. They come out of a, a Hebrew background. And so they would have a deep background with, with benediction, uh, in particular, and I think if somebody's listening to this on the podcast, they're at a, little, at a little bit of a disadvantage because they didn't hear our Old Testament reading this morning. Jonathan read from Numbers 6, and Numbers chapter 6, at the end, God gives these very particular instructions to Moses about how his brother Aaron, the first high priest, 
and how Aaron's descendants, the future priesthood, how they are to pronounce blessing on God's people. Now, this is, this is very important. Moses is not the source of the blessing. Aaron, the high priest, is not the source of the blessing. No pronouncer of the blessing is the source of the blessing. And this is a big deal with me because I, I do pronounce blessings. The blessing doesn't originate with the pronouncer. The blessing is from God. And someone pronounces it. And, and God says, look, this is not just kind of smoke and mirrors. When you say this, when you say the Lord, this is the one I'm going to use today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn, turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. It's not pretend. You actually, because I'm authorizing you, you will put my name on the people. It won't be like a neat thought. You will instill my blessing upon them. And it seems that especially that last part about turn his face towards you and give you peace, that that really got in the water supply because you get to the New Testament and people who had that Jewish background who come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, they like that language of the God of peace. When Paul writes letters, several of them have benedictions in the end, and he pronounces the benediction as being from the God of peace. Uh, this benediction does the same thing. May the God of peace bless you. Now, this is very important. The reason that the high priest would be the person to pronounce that blessing is that the high priest was sort of the, the epicenter of the covenant between God and his people and specifically of handling sacrifice and the shedding of blood so that the people know that they have atonement, that they have at one with God. Now, what has been like one of the mega themes of Hebrews? Uh, the writer, we don't know who it is, uh, who he is, the writer is writing to people who've heard the gospel and they're thinking about reverting back to Judaism and the writer is saying, listen, there is nothing and there is no one superior to Jesus. And one of the big points he develops for Jewish listeners is all those high priests, they did what God wanted them to do. They did the sacrifices they were supposed to do. They, they led in the Day of Atonement. But we had to keep having high priests, and they kept living and dying and being succeeded by the next high priest. And the reason we had to keep having Days of Atonement is because they can't do it for you. All they can do is point to somebody who ultimately could do it for you. And the writer is saying, we have that high priest. He is Jesus. We've had the definitive day of atonement. Okay, now here's what's beautiful about that. The writer is saying, because he has done that, because he has simultaneously been the priest who offers blood, and he's the sacrifice. The blood of the eternal covenant is Jesus' blood. Because he's done that now, the ultimate benediction of God being the God of peace rests on you. This is not peaceful, easy feelings. This is not me being at a state of peace. This is actual, objective peace 
between God, it's vertical peace. It's peace between God and the one who believes. The blesser is the God of peace. Uh, and by the way, that language, it's kind of weird about the, the, the blood of the eternal covenant. You know what's the first mention in the Bible of the blood of the covenant? It's at Mount Sinai, and uh, God just transforms the appearance of Mount Sinai. It becomes terrifying. Moses goes up. He's given the law of God. And then there's this scene in Exodus chapter 24 where Moses takes blood that's been shed and he pronounces to the people of Israel, this is the blood of the covenant. And probably with hyssop or something like that. And he throws the blood on the people of Israel so that it actually spatters on them. And what's that saying? This God is binding himself to you, and you are to be bound to him. It is a life and death blood bond. He is marrying us, and we're marrying him. But the thing is, the people broke that covenant. And what the writer is saying is this, look, God hasn't changed, and we haven't changed. We need a God who can save us, but we, we break the covenant. You know what, though? Somebody came along and he kept the covenant. He's the one person who deserves not to have his blood shed. And he shed his blood. That blood is on you. And it's the blood of the eternal covenant. Now, let me see if I can tie a bunch of threads here together. Think about Jesus the night before he's going to shed that blood saying, this cup is the new what? covenant, which is in my, what? Blood. And you keep reading in the New Testament, and it says that this cup is a cup of blessing. You see all the threads coming together? It is the nature of God to bless. And the reason that I want to hit on that the reason there's a benediction at the end of Hebrews is not because of the writer. The reason there's a benediction at the end of downtown prayers worship service is not because of downtown prayers or the preacher. But benedictions and blessings are because of who God is. And I, I wanna, I'm harping on this because you know what the ancient temptation is? What was the, what was the first and effective temptation? Is God really good? I mean, yeah, he made all this stuff. I, granted, he, did, he, he is the creator, granted. But isn't he holding back on you? Is he really as good as you've been led to believe? Look at the whole of God's Word, but specifically, look at God incarnate. And believe that it is the nature of God to bless. You know, God looked at a world just chuck full of rebellion, made of rebellion, and He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's the blesser. What's the blessing uh, specifically in this, in this benediction? 
Look in verse 21. Now, the subject is, may the God of peace... So he's, he's the blesser. He's going to do something when he blesses you. What's the blessing? Verse 21. May he equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Now, this is where we've got to slow down. Because you can just read that, and like, that's a Bible verse, and it, you know... May God equip you with good stuff to to do good stuff. That's not what he says. He says, may God equip you with every single thing you could conceivably need to live the life that he wants you to live. Uh, One translation puts it this way, and I think this is a good translation. May he make you complete. You could even translate it, may he make you perfect. In all goodness. Okay, did you know that the New Testament speaks in terms of God giving you every single resource you need to be transformed and to follow Him and to do what pleases Him? Let me read you another verse. Now, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. This is from Second Peter, which is by Peter. Y'all know who's buried in Grant's tomb, right? Okay, just checking. All right, 2 Peter 1, verse 3. Can I just tell you a little story from when I was in middle school? I just, I have to share this story with you. I can't not tell you this story because I mentioned Grant's tomb. One of my teachers was interrogating one of the students, and he says, where are nucleic acids found? This is my science teacher. And Percy said, I don't know. He said, they're nucleic acids. Where are they found? And the student said, I don't know. And he said, well, look, who's buried in Grant's tomb? And Percy said, Grant? He said, okay, where are nucleic acids found? And Percy said, Grant's tomb? <laughs> in eighth grade, I saw it. Second Peter 1. Okay, listen, this is the language of every single thing you need. Second Peter 1, 3. His, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Listen to that one more time. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. There's, and this is stems from His goodness. There's not this thing that would be powerful in your life or that would help you that God is saying, yeah, I could put that in your portfolio, but I'm not going to. You figure it out for yourself. Everything we need to do the good he would have us do, we have it. He equips us. He works in us. Let me read verse 21 again. May he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight. Now, if you're looking at verse 21, you see where it says that you may do his will. And then the next phrase, it says, working in us. Do and working in the English translation look like two different words. In Greek, it's the same verb. It's just the verb of doing. And here's what the writer is saying. God wants you to do what pleases him. That's what transformation would look like. But the way that you're going to do what pleases God isn't going to begin with your doing. 
is going to originate with God doing in you so that you might do the things that please him. Let me read another parallel. This is from uh, Paul, Philippians 2. Listen to the language of working, doing. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation. How am I going to work out my salvation? Do the things that please God. How will I do what pleases God? Because God has already been working and will be working in you. This is part of salvation. I don't mean you save yourself by doing something to earn something from God. I mean that part of salvation is God, by His Spirit, inhabits us and works in us to do the work we're supposed to do to do the work that would transform us. And here's the beautiful thing, is that it says to do what's pleasing in his sight. Nothing that you and I are going to do, if you're a liar and you stop lying, if you love pornography and you completely stop looking at pornography, if you are uh, incredibly selfish and you become just so much more unselfish, that earns nothing. But if God is your father and you are his child, it does please him. Uh, I try not to tell a lot of stories about my kids because I just, there's just too much wreckage from preachers telling stories about their kids, but, but since they're not here. <laughs> now, I think this is okay to tell them their presence too, but, you know, different things resonate with daddies or mamas about the joy of, of being a parent. One thing that has really surprised me how good it feels is watching my children learn how to work. Um, watching my sons go to their jobs. Um, like I saw my son John come in from he works at a food place downtown. He came in yesterday in his, in his uniform and I, I just felt so proud of him. When, uh, when Betsy babysits or helps somebody babysit and, and, uh, and she has real responsibility and where they really have to do real stuff and she or they, they do it, I just, it, it, it is so pleasing. And here's the thing, it doesn't make them more my children. They already are my children. It doesn't earn my love. They already have my love. But because I'm their dad, because I love them, it's so pleasing to see what they're doing. And this may shock you, but God is actually more loving than me. I know that's hard to believe. But God loves his children. When, when a person who just has struggled with anger and wants to speak in anger and wants to vent anger, when he or she in that moment exercises self-control and it just feels like they're driving a dagger into their insides, it doesn't earn anything that God is pleased with them. I mean, he understands, maybe more, more than they understand themselves, I know that is so hard. And I know the only reason you're doing that is because you belong to me. To do what's pleasing in his sight. But this is where the grammar really matters. Uh, look back at verse 20. May the God of peace 
do these blessings. But it says at the end of verse 20, by the blood of the eternal covenant. He's going to do this by the blood of the eternal covenant. That's by Jesus' blood this blessing is going to come to you. Look at the end of verse 21. Uh, Working in you to do what's pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Now that by and that through are really important. Because the writer is writing to people who they believe in God. They believe in their, that there's one God, unlike almost everybody else in the world. They believe that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They believe in the law of Moses. They believe that you should keep the Torah. They're just thinking about doing that without Jesus. And the writer is saying, I, look, I'm about to end this letter. I want this blessing on you, but the blessing comes through Jesus Christ. And that was relevant to them. It's like he gets one last reminder in. And it is highly relevant to us. It's just become standard fare, whether it's in magazines or interviews or podcasts or whatever, for people to talk about their spirituality, sort of like all of us are free to come up with a designer spirituality. And so it can kind of be like one part Jesus, but it could also be one part mindfulness. It could be one part Buddhism. Uh, It could be sort of one part my nutritional plan and just sort of anything else that I want to cobble together and sort of come up with my own cafeteria-style designer spirituality. And, I mean, boy, that is right down the strike zone of America. Like, we tailor everything to optimize it to individually suit my individual tastes. And the writer is saying this, you have this through Jesus. It's his blood. And, and for Jewish listeners, when the writer says he's the great shepherd of the sheep, understand that might not hit us the way it hit them. They would hear the writer saying, Jesus is God. Because their Hebrew scriptures were just replete with language of there is this great shepherd who leads his sheep, his people, and it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the writer is saying, yes, and he became a man. And not through anything you do, but through faith in him, this blessing comes to you. But apart from him, this blessing is not on you. And this is an opportunity for me to ask you, I know some of you, but some of you I don't know, do you believe the good news? Do you abandon this project of earning your way or, or turning over a new leaf or turning my life around or there's different roads to God? Do you put all your chips onto Jesus and say, he must save me through his life and death and resurrection? Because if you do, the blessing is that you would be transformed to please God in every aspect of your life. Let me, let me end with this. I was invited this past Thursday to an event, and I want to publicly thank North Hills Church for this event. It was called Equip 2019. And um, obviously there's a lot of talk and, and cultural 
lightning and, and flashes about just all things pertaining to sexuality, same-sex attraction, uh, gender, everything. So it was, it was just some extended reflection and teaching about that. At the beginning of this um, time at North Hills, a, a woman from Atlanta named uh, Dee Barnes was invited up to speak, and I didn't know anything about her. And so she came up, and, and you know like when you're listening to somebody and they're real melodramatic, I hope I'm not that, but they're real melodramatic and you just kind of feel like they've got this shtick. She was the opposite of that. She, it was like healthy and normal and honest and very transparent. What she shared was that when she was a teenager, she was molested by a neighbor. Um, the only way that she knew to cope with that and, and maybe even kind of retaliate against that was that she became promiscuous. And um, in other words, if I, if I, if I control the process, then, then I'm in control. So she became very promiscuous, uh, which led to an unwanted pregnancy, which led to an abortion. She then went a different direction and... Um, became a lesbian and practiced that lifestyle. And she said, just sort of out of nowhere, God burst in. And one thing that she said that struck me was, you know, she said, I, I'm standing before you married to a man and with three children. And when she mentioned the three children, she said, can you believe that God blesses people like me? I mean, like, I, I took the life of a child, and you would think that God would retaliate and punish me for that, and he gave me three children. And I never heard her mention anything about I'm fixed now or reparative therapy or anything like that. What she talked about was, this was her appeal to us, the gospel has the power to transform people. It's not always going to look exactly the same in this person as it looks in that person. But I'm just telling you, it did my soul good to hear somebody say, when God burst in, He changed the whole of my life. Do you believe that God can do that in you? Whether you're a liar, or you abuse pain pills, or you can't be trusted with money, do you believe that God can burst in and not only cleanse you, but work in you so that you do the very thing that pleases Him and He's given you every resource you need and that the reason He does that is because He blesses. Uh, I'm going to say this again at the end, but I can't not say it here. May the blessing of God rest upon you through Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, please do bless us. Bless us by the work of your Spirit in our hearts. If there's anyone here who has never, for the first time, received the great benediction that comes from trusting in your Son, would you give that person faith, even this morning? We can't change anyone. He or she can't change themselves. You can change us. Would you give saving faith? For those who believe, would you 
encourage us and strengthen us that you are the blessing God. You've given us every spiritual blessing and transform us. If we're discouraged about not changing, would you lift our heads and pronounce your good words upon us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.